This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and this week I'm joined by incredible young woman who turned her childhood dream into reality, Alyssa Carson. At the age of 19, Alyssa's accomplishments include being the youngest to graduate at the Advanced Space Academy and the Advanced Possum Academy, officially making her certified to go to space and become an astronaut trainee. She's an inspiration to not only young girls out there, but to women of all ages. She's here today to talk to us about her larger-than-life journey. Alyssa, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, so you're going to be the first person to go to Mars. Yeah, that, well, that's the goal. That's what I'm working on. We'll get there. Uh, that is great. So many of us grew up wanting to be an astronaut. I can remember I had the orange space suit going to the uh, Space Museum, and I was just so excited. So where did the idea come from for you to be an astronaut, and how are you making that a reality? Yeah, to be honest, um, I mean, I don't remember like specifically what happened. I didn't have it like engraved into my mind. It wasn't something I thought people would be asking <laughs> me about um, for the rest of my life. But kind of my dad remembers a little bit more of me actually coming up to him like as a toddler and asking questions about space and Mars and, you know, have people ever been to Mars before and questions like that, which was pretty unusual. No one in my family has any sort of space or science background. So to be talking about space and science was very out of the ordinary but kind of our best guess is that it was an episode of the Backyardigans. And that is just because it's a cartoon I used to watch all the time. And they had a Mission <laughs> to Mars episode. I had like the poster for that episode in my room. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe like that's where I heard Mars. But that was kind of definitely my first interest in space and Mars. And then by the time I was seven, I went to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama. And kind of after that long weekend at space camp, I was pretty sold that space was what I wanted to go into. Now, growing up, you know, we want to be lawyers, doctors, baseball players, firemen. Being an astronaut is something that, you know, we've all decided that we wanted to be. But as we got older, we sort of lost that and then and sort of fumbled upon studies. Who was your biggest supporter that said, Alyssa, you can do this and you're willing to do this. I'm going to be behind you and support this. Who was there throughout the whole time with you? Yeah, you know, I think my dad did a pretty amazing job at, you know, when I was coming up to him and saying that I wanted to be an astronaut and go to Mars, you know, he was like, okay, sure. You know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> he didn't necessarily think that it was something I would stick with. You know, he thought the next week I'd be coming up to him and telling him I wanted to be a princess or, you know, whatever the next phase was. So, I mean, he didn't take it entirely seriously. I mean, he was encouraging, of course, but obviously he thought it would change. The first time I did go to space camp at seven, we did a parent child, so like a family camp. So my dad came to camp with me. He did all the things with me. And I think during that, he kind of realized how invested in space I really was and how interested I really was. So that definitely changed his mindset. But I think just in general, learning more about space, being around people who were very interested in space was very encouraging. But my dad was definitely there for every step of the way. You're literally changing the paradigm for space exploration. And I want to go over some of the things that you've accomplished. And one of the things at 12 years old, you were selected to, I want to say this right, the NASA MER-10 panel. What is that all about? 
Yeah, so that was a panel that they had in Washington, D.C., um, really just talking about some of the things that had been happening with Mars. There had been like a few rovers and things that they were kind of discussing. And then they also wanted to have a different perspective for like the future of space, the future of Mars, possibly sending people to Mars. So that's why they had asked me to come in as like almost like that future aspect, because some of the Mm. people on the panel were, you know, like NASA chief scientists and astronauts and people who were involved in what was happening now. And so they wanted a little bit of a future perspective as well. So definitely a pretty cool opportunity. Now, a lot of these people on the, on these panels are 10, even 20 years older than you. Is that intimidating or do you find it difficult to work in that environment with older people? I think that when I first got started in all of this, it was definitely intimidating. I mean, speaking in general wasn't something that I anticipated when <laughs> I started all of this. I mean, I was interested in like the nerdy science and space. I wasn't necessarily interested <laughs> in talking about all of it all the time. But that's something that kind of like slowly developed and kind of became more normal. So, you know, that first kind of major talk in uh, at the NASA MER 10 panel was like, okay, this is a really big platform, really important people. You know, I have to bring my A game. So I think that that was pretty intimidating. I've gotten a little bit better now, but definitely, you know, speaking to people who are older than you is intimidating, you know, especially in science and things like that, because, you know, you want to prove that you know what you're talking about and you can kind of keep up with the science and the level of difficulty that there is. So I will say there are still moments where, you know, I try to throw in a few fancy words so people can kind of get an idea of the things that I've done. Now, speaking of words, I heard that Russian was one of the languages that you had to learn for space travel. Is that true? Yeah, so a little bit. So, um, I mean, for a while when we had to send astronauts to the International Space Station, we uh, with when the space shuttle program ended in 2011, we basically, our only resource to get into the International Space Station was through Russia. And so astronauts were sending all of our astronauts up on the Soyuz. So, of course, everything was in Russian. The mission control was in Russian. So they had to understand Russian to be able to mm-hmm. participate in those missions. So that was kind of a requirement. Of course, right now, we're now sending people to the National Space Station using SpaceX, which is amazing. So I would say that I don't think it's quite as much of like a requirement, but I do think that it's beneficial. I think there's a lot more collaboration happening and will continue to happen in the space industry. So I, like I said, I don't think it's a requirement, but I do think that it is something helpful. Now, how many languages do you speak? I heard it's four or five. Yeah, so technically four. So I grew up, I went to an international school, which means we did all of our subjects in four different languages, which was English, French, Spanish, and Mandarin. And then there's been a few languages here and there that I picked up and dropped. And then even my four like main languages being out of high school and not using them all the time, I'm like, oh, wait, my French and my Spanish are mixing some of the time. And so, yeah, it was it was really cool to be able to like learn all those languages. But I think it's kind of made learning more languages a little bit easier. So I am I'm happy about that. Now, moving on in your career, you were also accepted into the POSM Academy. And I heard this is a very big, big deal. What exactly is that? Why is it so important? Yeah. So what possum is, um, it's more than just like the animal. Um, <laughs> I think that it's pretty funny acronym, but it stands for polar suborbital science in the upper mesosphere, which is pretty much a really fancy way of saying that their main focus of research is in the upper atmosphere. So their main focus is a type of cloud called noctilucent clouds. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like what 
the original possum kind of started out as, which is really cool. So I joined when I was 15, which was really crazy. A lot of their other members or however you want to call them um, were, you know, either in college, out of college, adults with jobs. Um, So a 15 year old was very bizarre, um, but it was a really cool opportunity. But, you know, it was not only cool, but it has been pretty career changing, mainly just because through Possum, I've been able to do, you know, microgravity flights, water survival training. I've been able to work with real life spacesuits and, you know, be exposed to so many realistic space things. So essentially nowadays we're a group of space nerds that we just kind of come together in our free time (laughs) and do some pretty cool research. I've watched um, your TED Talks and I learned a lot about space travel. I was really intrigued that a lot of the astronauts actually are scuba certified. Why is scuba side so important as an astronaut? Pretty much the reason why we use scuba a lot when talking about space is because water and underwater is kind of the closest that we can get to long-term microgravity. So like the microgravity flights that you see the astronauts doing, the vomit comet, you know, all, all those fun things. We can simulate microgravity, but each time that you're floating and have weightlessness, it's only for like 20, 25 seconds-ish each time you do it. So you're not really getting that long-term exposure. And so I'm sure most people have experience when you're in a pool, you can all of a sudden like lift up your friend because they're like magically light all of a sudden and, you know, they don't weigh as much underwater. And so we kind of use that to our benefit. Of course, it's not exactly microgravity, but it's the closest that we can get here on Earth. So astronauts will run through their entire mission underwater to kind of get a little bit of that sensation of how things would float or feel or weigh kind of in space. During the pandemic, a lot of us had a change. We had a lot of setbacks. We weren't able to exchange ideas in person with people. How was your training or did you have any setbacks during the pandemic that actually kept you away from your training? Uh, definitely. I mean, I haven't actually gone and done, I guess, like a physical, like in-person training like I normally have been doing, especially with Project Possum. A lot of our a lot of our classes and a lot of our like physical research campaigns that we do have kind of just been put at a pause, especially during the pandemic. So we're trying to get things going again. So it was really just a lot of online. I mean, I kept doing like some space courses, but yeah, pretty much all online, which was very interesting, especially having school <laughs> online as well. So it's just a lot of using my computer, but, um, but yeah, so not really a whole lot of like physical training. So it was kind of mostly put on hold. Do you think the pandemic's helped you mentally to isolate yourself because you're going to get ready to be in isolation in the next couple of years? You know, I do think that is pretty funny. I think a lot of people were, you know, relating to like the isolation factor, um, you know, and I think we all kind of experienced it. You know, I feel like there was a period of time, like we're all trapped at home with like our families and we were just like going crazy with them. Um, and so <laughs> I think that, you know, kind of thinking in the sense of like, okay, if this was a mission and this was your crew, how do you get over these minor arguments? Like, how do you get over, you know, dealing with them every single day? So I think it was like a fun like idea to kind of relate it to space and like kind of get an idea of like what it would be like if that were your crew or if you were on a mission. So I think that was interesting. But I mean, I would totally want to do some sort of like analog in the nearby future of like actually pretending Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than going through a pandemic. But I think a research analog would be really cool. But I think that the mental factor is really fascinating about space. That is great. Watching your TED talk, I noticed the word blueberry written across your astronaut uniform. Can you tell me the story of what Blueberry means or what the actual meaning behind that nickname is for you? 
Yeah, so Blueberry is my call sign, which is pretty much like a nickname. And call signs basically originated in the military. And it was like this thing that they used to do. And they and since a lot of the early astronauts were from the military, they, you know, eventually branched into space. Um, a lot of them kept their call signs when they moved into the astronaut corps. So a lot of the astronauts kept it up. And it's become a little bit more normal in the space industry as well, even if you weren't in the military. But mine was Blueberry, and I basically got that call sign the second time I went to space camp. And it was because I wanted one of the blue flight suits that I saw everyone wearing because I wanted to be an astronaut. So, of course, I wanted to look like one. So I wanted one of the blue flight suits, but I was pretty small and tiny for an eight-year-old, so I didn't fit in any of them. So my dad found like a knockoff version or whatever of a flight suit and... Anyway, it was just the wrong color blue, and it was just a really dark shade of blue. So everyone told me it made me look like a blueberry. And so from then on, uh, people kept calling me blueberry. I even came back to space camp the next year, and people were like, oh, look, blueberry's back. And, you know, it never went away. So I just decided to accept it. And, yeah, take blueberries kind of like a nickname. Well, I love the nickname. Keep it up. What do you feel throughout your career has been your greatest setback or the biggest challenge for you? Yeah, I think a huge challenge has really just been balancing everything and time management and that sort of thing. Obviously, you know, with my interest in space, I obviously want to do a lot of things for space or work towards my career in a lot of different ways. But, you know, also doing homework and taking classes that aren't interesting and things like that. (laughs) So I think it's just really like keeping that balance as well as balance between like working and also personal life, you know, just trying to keep everything put together. I mean, like right now I have my internship, a full workload. I have anything else that will come up, whether it's, you know, uh, calls or anything like that. Also just being a normal college student, it's definitely just a lot of times management. So I think that's been a huge challenge. Something I'm a lot more used to now. I'm now obsessed with having a calendar and having everything, you know, worked <laughs> out. So I think in the end, it's making me more organized. So it's probably for the better. And what college are you attending? I am currently at Florida Institute of Technology, Florida Tech, studying astrobiology. And what year are you in? I am in my junior year, so pretty exciting. I guess I'm getting more closer to the point of actually like focusing in on what I'm actually going to do, which is exciting and frightening at the same time. Um, So basically with what my major is, astrobiology, you pretty much study all the way into like all the areas of science. So like physics, chemistry, bio, you take all of those courses. And then at the end, you can kind of figure out, you know, okay, which area of science do I really want to go into most? And so when I first got into astrobiology, I thought I would be most interested in like plants, plants in space, growing plants, or, you know, testing different soils in space, you know, Martian regolith, lunar regolith, that kind of stuff. But then I took a microbio course, and now I think I like bacteria in space. So <laughs> I, I know I'm in the bio world. I'm just figuring the out what area, what area of bio I'm eventually going to go into. So what exactly one does as an astronaut after they graduate from college? I know some people go on to PhDs and stuff, but is there another school that you will be attending after you graduate college? Yeah, so um, pretty much you can almost study anything and then apply as an astronaut. I think that's pretty important fact. You know, you have to be something to apply as an astronaut. You have to have some sort of career prior to that. 
And right now for the astronaut selection process, it is required to have at least a master's degree. So for me, after undergrad, I would, of course, go and get my master's. I am probably at the moment looking at like International Space University and getting my master's there. So I will definitely do that after my master's in terms of like going after a PhD or something. I guess I'll kind of see how tired of school I am at that moment. But I mean... I don't know. Right now, I probably plan on just going into the workforce at that point and then simultaneously like begin applying to the astronaut selection process and just going forward and see what happens. That is really interesting. What advice would you give a, a person or a young girl or young woman or anyone struggling to overcome an obstacle? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, if you're going or trying to get through something, I think a lot of it can kind of just come down to a lot of time, just like the people you're with, you know, I love, you know, telling kids, if you have a crazy goal or a crazy dream, you know, having someone in your life just to say like, oh, you can do that. You know, even if they aren't helping you that much, whether it's a friend, a parent, teacher, you know, whoever it is, just having one person rooting for you, I think makes a huge difference. Just like my dad was rooting for me a lot of the time, that does make a huge difference. So like having some sort of support, And then also, you know, if you're going after your goals or like your dreams and stuff, I would definitely say a big thing is talking about your dreams and your goals. I think it makes such a huge difference, Mm. you know, being able to tell people what you're interested in doing, even all the way back when you're super young, you know, even in middle school, you know, start telling people what you're interested in doing in the future. You never know who someone else knows. You never know what opportunities could come out of things. So never really be afraid to go after your goals. And even if they sound crazy, because I do know that, When I was young saying I wanted to be an astronaut and go to Mars, that was by far the craziest, most impossible (laughs) thing I could have picked, but I'm still working on it. And so it is becoming more of a reality. And you will accomplish it. You know what I like to do? Um, I like to write down my goals and I still have the, I still have the list when I was 13 years old of writing all of my goals down and I'm accomplishing them still to this day. So I really think it's very important that if you have your goals and you know your goals to actually write them down. So that's a very big thing that I work on, Alyssa. Alyssa. Space has become something we're talking about on an everyday basis, especially in the news with Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. What are your thoughts on space exploration right now? Yeah, I think space exploration right now is very fascinating. I think a lot is changing in space, and I think it's an exciting change. I think it's very fascinating to have such an interest. I think that's also something that's really cool. You know, I love seeing the excitement about space coming back, you know, space being cool, space being popular again. You know, when we were sending people to the moon, everyone was interested in space. Everyone was waiting to see, you know, people land on the moon. And, you know, we had that excitement a little bit with the space shuttle program as well, but slowly it kind of died off. And especially when the space shuttle program ended, you know, people were kind of under like misconceptions of space being closed or us not having astronauts anymore kind of all these weird misconceptions because we weren't doing anything, but now we kind of have the excitement back. So I think it is really fascinating. I also think it's amazing to have other avenues of getting to space. Of course, for the first time ever, we're able to do more than one thing in space at a time. So typically that's why we ended the space shuttle program was to start looking for towards the moon and Mars. But now SpaceX can send people to the International Space Station. NASA can work on their Mars mission. You know, Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin can focus on suborbital space, do space research. There's just a lot of opportunity with it. So I think that that's all really fascinating and definitely very exciting, especially for people going into the space industry. There's so 
there's so many opportunities that you're most overwhelmed with the amount of opportunities you can go into. But I also think for the next generation, we're seeing a lot more cool jobs coming into play. You know, we're going to have things that you don't even think of. Let's say space tourism takes off. You know, you could be a space flight attendant and that may sound crazy now, <laughs> but in the, in the near future, it could be a total like normal job that we have. You know, when we have tourists going with Virgin Galactic, maybe we need, you know, someone to hand them drinks. I don't know. You know, there's these cool <laughs> things that we can kind of look forward to and for the future of space. Do you think this is where we're headed with civilians taking regular trips to the moon? I think that is the ultimate goal of space. I think that the ultimate goal for us with space travel is to eventually make space more normal, or at least that's kind of where I see us heading, where, mm. you know, going to space is as normal as, you know, doing other things. You know, a trip to Mars will become as normal as like, you know, vacationing to Disney World, you know, those kinds of things. Of course, that's going to take, you know, a while and a long time to get to, but I think that's where we're headed. And as we start looking um, towards like space tourism and that aspect that several companies are working on, there are multiple reasons why we're interested in space tourism. Not necessarily one just to be like, oh, yay, you know, another market or another thing for people to do. But really, the idea of going to space and sending people to space has an impact on them as a person. And a lot of astronauts mm -hmm. have expressed that. And so I think we're really wanting to give people that sensation and wanting them to feel that same way. You know, when you're in space, being able to look back at the Earth, you're able to see how thin our atmosphere is. You can see what a thin layer <laughs> is protecting us from solar radiation and all this other cool stuff. You're able to to see the planet as a whole. You know, you can't really see borders in space. It's just one planet. And so I think that it has a huge effect on people in general. So I think that's really the goal of space tourism and getting more people to space is that they can kind of have more of an appreciation of Earth and then also a space travel in general. But we get a lot of benefits of going to space. So I definitely think that's where we're headed. That is great. It's instead of Disney, people will be taking trips to the moon. That's very interesting. That would be very interesting. So I'm very intrigued by my guests in, ter in terms of their mental strength, their, their way to push past that line of, of normality. And every morning I wake up and I do what we call incantation. I have my morning rituals, do an incantation. I say, by December 31st, I, Jake Cardi, will accomplish this. I journal, I'll work out, and then I'll take an ice bath. Do you have any morning rituals or rituals that you subscribe to on an everyday basis to get your mind mentally sharp and ready for the day? Yeah, I think it kind of depends a little bit on like what's going on. I will say I feel like I'm more serious about like those sorts of rituals, especially with if I'm doing something like pretty intense, like for example, over the past summer when I was getting my skydiving certification, you know, I had to kind of like wake up every morning and like mentally prepare myself that like, okay, I'm about to go jump out of a plane like five times today. And I need to be mentally ready for that. Um, and so I think it's a lot of like building myself up and, you know, making sure that I know that I can accomplish something or this goal and really, you know, making sure that I know that and go after that. And yeah, I think that's a big thing. I think, you know, in general, like organization for me helps a lot in terms of just like making sure I know I'm organized and together can kind of motivate me a lot to know that I can keep working towards this because, you know, everything's put in place. So that's a huge help. But yeah, I would definitely say I'm more rigorous like that if I'm doing something intense because skydiving was a huge strain <laughs> physically and mentally. So that was a pretty good example of that. So from jumping out of planes to scuba diving to then going to Mars, do you have any fear of anything? 
I definitely have fears. Um, and I really don't have that many fears about like this or going to space or like the space program. I think a lot of like the dangers of space I've just kind of learned about for so long that it's just like, yeah, you know, like there's radiation in space and space debris, all that's like pretty typical. So I think a lot of like the typical dangers of space are pretty normal. And then also just in general about going to, to space. I think I've met so many people who work in the space industry and you kind of see how passionate these people are. You see how hardworking they are. They're already thinking about, you know, people that could potentially be on a rocket, you know, 10 years from now, but they're double, triple checking everything to make sure it's as safe as safe can be. And so I think that that's something that's really amazing. And I think space is becoming so much safer. And um, so I don't really have many fears about going to space. I mean, I've always kind of been like the kind of person in terms of like fear that I'm scared to do something. But like after I do it the first time then I'm able to do it, you know, I'm like, oh, that was awesome. Let's do it again and again, <laughs> again. So it's always for me like that first push. With all that you're accomplishing, what legacy do you want to be known for or what legacy do you want to leave behind? Yeah, I think a big thing that I want to leave behind is really just encouraging kids to go after their goals at an early age. You know, I think that it's amazing that, you know, a lot of kids don't know what they want to do and that's great. But I think it's also important that we realize that, you know, you don't have to wait until you're picking a major in college to decide what you want to do. And you can go after those goals way earlier on. You know, a lot of the space related stuff that I did you know, joining Project Possum at 15, you know, that was way early, but it also gave me exposure to figure out, you know, like, okay, is this something I like? Is this something I dislike? And I think that that's super helpful for kids. You know, if you have an interest in something, try pursuing it, try going after something. Like if you have an interest in robotics, like join a robotics club to see if like, okay, like, do you really like this? Like now get some time actually experiencing it to see if that's something you're really into. And I think, you know, that was something that was super helpful for me because by going to like different space camps, I was, I was able to realize, okay, I don't want to like be a pilot professionally. I don't want to do this professionally. Like, okay, I'm more interested in science. So that's the route I would want to take in space. But I was able to kind of figure all that out, like before going to college, which was really nice. And so I think if kids, you know, if you change your mind, that's, that's totally fine. Just kind of keep changing your mind until you find something that you are really passionate about. Sure. So you have a very interesting life. And if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, all of my uh, social media is under NASA Blueberry. <laughs> so uh, pretty much any and everything you could think of. My website is nasablueberry.com. But yeah, pretty much anything. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, so on, LinkedIn, etc. All under NASA Blueberry. Well, it was an honor to have you on the show. And thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Stories of Strength. A big thank you to our incredible guest, Alyssa Carson, for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'm Jay Cardiel, and this has been Stories of Strength by MuscleTech.